0: Or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, both underscore MOV number two L-I-V. We're excited to bring you these interviews, and we think you'll enjoy each and every one that we bring you. Moving to Live and our sister podcast, FitLab PGH, firmly believe that movement should be treated as a lifestyle. That's why Moving to Live tries to bring you interviews with a variety of people involved in the movement fields, Some people you think are obviously movement-related professionals, other people you may not recognize it at first, but we think when you finish listening to the interviews, you will. Today, we're fortunate enough to sit down with Dr. David Loeber. Dr. Loeber was recommended to us by Dr. Pete Thomas, so a big shout out to Dr. Thomas for making the suggestion. Dr. Loeber is a functional medicine physician, and he is with Squirrel Hill Family Wellness Center. We talk about what functional medicine is. And the work that he does with patients. Dr. Lober, thanks for taking time for talking to Moving to Live. I appreciate the patience of today's guest. It took a while to get him scheduled, and I want to thank Dr. Pete Thomas for recommending him and connecting me. We're here today with Dr. David Lober of Squirrel Hill Family Wellness Center. He is a functional medicine physician. We're going to get into what exactly functional medicine is. And I really appreciate Dr. Lober's willingness to talk to me because the main reason I contacted him is I wanted a physician in the Pittsburgh area or even nationally to talk to me about Lyme disease as far as what people need to be aware of since it is a growing problem from everything you read. But not a lot of people want to talk about it, and I understand why. So, Dr. Lober, thanks for taking time at the end of a busy day to sit down and talk to FitLab PGH.
1: My pleasure. Thank you.
0: I know you've got an interesting story. What do I always like to talk talk uh, start with when I interview people from FitLab <laughs> Pittsburgh is: Are you a Pittsburgh native? If you're a Pittsburgh native, why are you still here? If you're not a Pittsburgh native, what brought you here? <laughs>
1: Well, I am a Pittsburgh native. I'm, I guess, a fourth generation Pittsburgh native. Both of my sets of great-great-great-grandparents were uh, coming in from various parts of the world. So they they settled here in in our Three Rivers community, and I just became home. Like a lot of people, I think people get used to being here in Pittsburgh and family and Comfort and i've enjoyed being here and raising my family here. So don't foresee leaving anytime soon I I just like a lot of people. I Traveled around, I went to school out of state, I went to Notre Dame for undergrad, and I I went to Japan for a few years to, or actually a few months, to study abroad and learn the language and culture, and I was across state in Philadelphia for my medical school, so that was enough to drive me back to uh, the Pittsburgh area in itself. Then I did my training and my residency here in uh, UPMC, predominantly at at Shadyside, also Presbyterian Hospital. And I worked for a number of years as a hospitalist, so an internist, my my board certification's internal medicine. I worked in that hospital setting for some time until I discovered what functional medicine is. And I'm sure we'll get into talking about what that is very soon here.
0: And one of the things when I meet with medical professionals or any other professional is I like to know their story and you have your story or at least part of it on your website. And I understand your late father was a physician, so I imagine that contributed to your eagerness and your decision to go into medicine. I'm always curious with uh, physicians with the multiple different specialties, how did you decide to be an internist?
1: Well, the internist—I kind of just fell into it. Yeah, you know, my dad was a, a dermatologist, and my uncle was actually an internist. My mom worked a, alongside my dad as a nurse. My sister ended up becoming a nurse. Uh, it's kind of in the, in the blood, I guess. And so I had—I always admired my dad, and he was always the most important person to me. And seeing the, um, the admiration his patients had for him, and the respect that they had, and the, you know, the the lifestyle that we're able to live from being a physician and the family structure that we had and we we had I had a nice life growing up and it's not always perfect for anyone and there's things I'm sure we'll talk about that helped shape who I am but having his influence was enough for me to say yeah I want to be a doctor and once I get into it it's like I, I never found my my true niche know okay? and so kind of like the low point of uh, a water basin, I kind of fell to the, the internal medicine because nothing else gravitated enough to me. That you know, I I enjoyed being a physician and wanting to practice medicine, but none of the specialties ultimately grabbed me. So I kind of gra- gravitated towards just being a a general internist, and so that's it wasn't a glamorous story, but that's how I got there.
0: And I know that people who Become physicians often fall in a number of different patterns. There's some who their goal is to make as much money as possible. There's just like in any profession, there's some who gravitate towards large practices or working in a hospital. And you mentioned you worked in a hospital for a while, although now you're in a solo uh, practice, which one of the things I like from the physicians that I've met who were in solo practices or in small practices, many of them said, you know, the reason I gravitated towards this or traveled the path towards this is because I originally got into medicine because I wanted to help people. And I found with the typical medical model where I had to see multiple patients a day, I just couldn't do that. I know we're going to get into a little bit more of your story about how you became involved with functional medicine. But when you were going through medical school and were working as an internist, was there any thought in your mind? It's like, okay, I'm enjoying this. This is very fulfilling professionally, but I think there's more.
1: It took me a while to, to realize that there was a, a deeper level of healing for people. Um, looking back, the way that I was taught was and through an MD medical school background was to diagnose people, to diagnose problems, to look what the history of present illness is and to be succinct and to summarize very clearly what medications are on, what's the family history, social history, review of systems, physical exam, my assessment of what the problem is and my plan, and to do it in an efficient way that my attending physicians weren't looking at their clock or the other people around me weren't getting bored or making sure that I was Doing it in the proper fashion. This was a training. This is how we were taught to be efficient, to see patients quickly, to see multiple patients, and to really do what we had to do to treat that patient for that particular problem for where they were in front of us, either in the office or in the hospital setting. And that was what was taught to me. That was the approach that was laid upon me. And Eventually, as I did hospital work for some time, you know, I thought about oncology for a little bit with my my father, and you know, I did some research and, and almost went in, tried to go into that field. It, it just wasn't enough that I I felt this passion for it, the desire. And with my dad died of cancer, that was really impactful for me, and I just never gravitated enough and you asked about what was my motivation and and things like that. My motivation was to help people, to take care of people, to be a kind and good doc like my dad was. And I just never felt like I was meeting that goal in a hospital setting, seeing the same kind of level of sick patients when you came in. You're just kind of throwing them a life preserver to keep them from falling off the, the waterfall. And you know, I, I, it got kind of difficult to do over time. And there's certain patients that it would just come back in after just a few days even, that they're just not getting by. And, and so it just was in the back of my mind for some time. It's like, what, what am I really doing? Am I, I'm, I'm helping in a sense, but I'm not truly helping. I'm, I'm not getting patients to a better state of being. I'm just keeping them from falling off the waterfall's edge and so it was this mentality this this thought process that i had that kind of came crosshairs before i was from my my personal journey that i'm sure we'll talk about here soon it was what led me to to look for a deeper purpose to look beyond just what i was doing as an internist and treating conditions and not forming the best of connections with patients, and I know I wasn't in a primary care setting, but even when I did my primary care training and residency, it's the same kind of prospect. You only had 20 minutes, you you covered the, the basics, you refilled medications, you made sure they did their screening, you made sure that their weight and cholesterol and blood pressure was okay, and you didn't have time to really dive into what made them tick, why they were here, why the problem was, was manifest. And, and that's something that I never was really even taught.
0: And do you think, and I know this is probably something you may not have the exact answer to, do you think it was different when your dad and people of his generation went through medical school and did it, and it's changed more for when you did it and first became a physician, partially because of the changes in insurance and the increased healthcare costs, or am I completely reaching there?
1: that's not a complete reach at all. I, I'm sure that it progressed even further from that mentality, but I think it goes back even further than that. I think you got to go back to world war II. You got to go back to um, around that time when penicillin was first developed in this, this idea that we as, as physicians or you know, pharmaceutical companies are trying to be able to overcome a condition with some, Drug, an agent that could be the panacea. And so this mentality of, of penicillin was the impetus for, well, if we can create a pill to treat an infection, why can't we have a pill to lower someone's blood pressure or to make their pain go away or improve their kidney function or treat cancer? And Not that any of those things are inherently bad, but it took the focus away from treating the reasons why that person was in this position to begin with and so that started out in my opinion the mentality of more conventionally trained medical doctors which i certainly started off that way into this well let's let's see where the focus is and i think there's a lot of deeper things that we'll we'll get into that are, are just not even part of our vernacular in in medical school training. When we look about stress and sleep and diet and movement and exercise and our personal relationships, our exposures to toxins of which there's at least 85,000 of them around in our world, um, chronic infections, environmental exposures, these are the factors that really lead to people being ill. These are the things that I was never taught about and these are the things that I came to embrace and truly love about functional medicine.
0: And as somebody who clearly is not a physician and has the good fortune to have had a number of very good physicians, it seems like the very good physicians all have that strong science background, but there's also the art of teasing the information out of the patient that maybe it's something the patient says is an aside that's kind of lights the little light bulb and says, oh, this may have an effect on that, such as the person who says, well, I'm not getting that much sleep because my my kid is always up at uh, two in the morning and I wake up thinking that. And what I've seen with a lot of these physicians that I have met who make the decision to go into small practices or focus on individual things, you're the first functional medicine physician I've interviewed, is they have that curiosity, um, whether it's innate or whether it's something that they've developed because they've been in the traditional medical model and said, wait a second, something's not helping because I'm giving people these drugs. So it's almost like there's the art of medicine and there's the science of medicine. And in big medicine, as a person on the outside looking in, it seems like the science is being overemphasized and the art and the humanity is being taken away.
1: I would agree with that. Um, from my own personal story, I never really thought about it till you started talking like this, but I always liked telling a story. I always enjoyed my English class and essays. I liked making sure that there was good flow between paragraphs and thoughts and processes. And so it it makes perfect sense to me to be able to instill this kind of a thought process when you talk to patients. When you have more time, which the appointments that I do are 90 minutes long to begin with, and I have a a 24-page questionnaire I send out ahead of time that I even look at ahead of time. And I look through patients' labs that they send me. You know, I do this because I think it's important to, to give a feel for someone. And then when you hear their story, and that's always my lead off question, like, what are your medical concerns? Tell me what your goals of care are. And you leave it open-ended and you hear the, the story and then those light bulbs, those connections, those dots that aren't connected in a general practice of medicine, You, it's about how you connect those dots, how you put the pieces together. And a lot of times people just don't even know how to even approach something like that. So that's the unique part of it. And I think the story and the person and finding out where each person is on their journey. I think functional medicine for me is acting like a a guide on your journey. I'm someone to help guide you and will help turn the ship around and go upstream to calmer waters and so that's
0: that's the fun part about doing this. We're talking with Dr. Lober of Squirrel Hill Family Wellness Center, who is a functional medicine physician. I have the good fortune of being able to read uh, either questionnaires or guest websites before I interview them. And one of the things that I noticed uh, with you, given the fact that I'm an exercise physiologist by training, is for a large large period of your life, you said you struggled with being essentially obese. And that was part of your journey along with some uh, problems your newborn child had. I'm just curious as somebody who moves, and I know a lot of our listeners are movement professionals, what do you attribute the fact that you were overweight for much of your life to and then um, you talk a little bit, and I'm sure we'll talk more about changes in nutrition and stress management that helped you, but what do you attribute that for? Was it a, a lack of knowledge, a, a lack of inactivity, um, not understanding how to eat, yes, all of the above, or something completely different?
1: Sure. I, I think at an early age, it starts because the way our, our American culture has developed over the last few decades i think the the advent of processed food and convenience and lack of time and the, the ability to prepare fresh food and not having a, a focus on you know real food and wholesome food and in trying to have some idea of how we should eat you know, these are all concepts that were completely foreign to to me and my family, and I, I grew up again with a doctor as a dad, and my mom was a nurse, and they were busy people. And so we, we just—I remember going to the grocery store. I could put anything I wanted in my cart. I remember drinking Pepsi multiple times a day. I, it was good at school, and I was good enough for my my family. And yeah, I was was not a gifted athlete. I didn't move around too much. I. I played, but the the intake and output in terms of uh, my ability to, to lose weight was a struggle for a long time because I, I just was not eating in a, a fashion that was conducive to you know, being healthy. And this, this is a mindset, and this, this carried with me for a number, number of years. And I don't think it was the lack of my parents caring about me, it's far from it. I think it's just the attitude of food in our culture and convenience and not having the right mentality when it comes to how to eat and the method of eating, the art of eating. And that's a big part of what I do with a lot of patients. And I came to find this in my own journey. And I guess my journey starts with, um, I guess, from my firstborn child. So you, you read through the materials, and so my my firstborn, Caden, he was um, born. Oh my gosh, he's almost eight years old now, and through him we learned so much. And I think as a lot of parents do, they they learn how to they learn more about themselves as they look to care for others. And so with him, we were doing everything like we we should we kept up with all of our usual you know OB appointments and we gave him every vaccine as per schedule we gave him every medication that he needed after um birth we were in a hospital to my wife's true credit she wanted to do it as naturally as possible and we had a good outcome in terms of a, a healthy baby but it was healthy in in the usual standards there's all these little laundry list of things that just started to develop. And I think a lot of the mentality is that, well, you yeah, know, all kids have eczema, all kids get infections, all kids have certain kinds of concerns. And then then you come in with the general medical mentality of, okay, there's eczema, well, let's you just make sure you're um, putting on your steroid cream or let's avoid certain kinds of formula, but my wife wasn't using formula. She was breastfeeding to her credit as well, which is a great, um, step for us. And, um, I think it's a great thing for humans to be doing in general, but my, my son's list just started to grow. He had cradle cap from an early age. He had this abnormal curvature of his neck or t- torticollis. And we had to do therapy for that. We um, found that he had significant eczema that got worse and worse over the, the first two to three years of his life. He, We could tell at age nine months that he needed to move his bowels because he turned bright red and so we'd put him on the toilet. But that's not how things should go. And he, every two or three days he was having bowel movements. And again, I didn't didn't know that was a terribly bad thing because a lot of kids kind of like that. And so what really motivated us is that when he started having eczema so bad that he was starting to bleed from his skin lesions, like, this is, this is too much. You know, we, we've got to do something here. And my wife, Jacqueline, who's the reason why I'm talking to you today and the reason why I have made my changes in life was always a step ahead of the game. And we had met a very influential person. Her name was Judy Jones. She was a a lactation consultant doula coach um she, she trained us in lamaze and so she was that spark that started off our mindset of you know, trying to do things naturally and it didn't obviously immediately ignite the spark you know, we had little pilot light that was was lit there that eventually um you know, became something more but from that point when we learned how to at least pursue a natural childbirth and to breastfeed and to want to do things the way that we as human beings truly should do them you know there's a disconnect between what's necessary and vital for all all people versus what that person truly needs and so this is a a disconnect between medicine and functional medicine as well in the sense that you know, medicine is geared towards the population. It's geared towards standards and making sure that everyone is meeting benchmarks and milestones and getting the right shots at the right time and meeting their, their, their guidelines. But it, it's not focusing in on the person. It's not getting to the core of why that person needs to be um, – And what's affecting that person in their life, in their environment, in their diet, in their exposures, in their ability to detox, and what their genetics are like, and how the genetics meet up with the environment, and how this epigenetic concept can change people. So for my son, I think there was definitely influential factors. There was factors where he was underweight when he was born. He was 5 pounds, 11 ounces. And I think, looking back, my wife and I, we moved into a brand new home. And this new home was probably likely off-gassing from all sorts of toxins that we didn't know about. And my wife got the flu shot. And so, where are the randomized controlled trials for the effects of um, the flu shot while pregnant and non-pregnant? And where, where, there's, there's no studies like that. And then we find out that torticollis is a side effect of getting a flu shot when you're pregnant. My wife had antibiotics when she was pregnant for a urinary tract infection. And then from that she got a a fungal infection and she took an antifungal. What are the effects of that on on someone's fetus? My wife had something called MTHFR which is a nutritional insufficiency where you're not able to um, process B vitamins as well to help with your your vitamin, uh, to help with your ability to regulate DNA and to make neurotransmitters and to detoxify, and so she was never taking the right vitamins for her genetics, and that can have an impact on the developing fetus. So, and then the food, we introduced gluten and grains much sooner, and that likely led into an imbalance in his gut microbiome that led to the propensity of eczema and changing his gut motility, which led to constipation. And so these are things that I didn't know existed. But looking back, I, I look back at my son and the influential factors on him. And I do think that vaccines and everything that is in those vaccines could play a role. And there's not an N of 1 for that either. You, you need to be mindful of the individual and the person and make informed decisions and decide if if that's the right course for that person. And so, all these factors together really influenced us going forward, and it came to a head, um, it was beginning of January 2015, where I, my family and I, we embarked on this elimination-style diet that eventually led to my son's eczema vanishing and his constipation resolving within three weeks of just changing how we
0: ate. And And I think what's interesting, the two things you've said in the last couple of minutes, how it resonates with things that have happened uh, either through the podcast or with me personally, I had the good fortune to interview a sleep researcher who's an Irishman who lives in Australia, who actually travels quite a bit and off recording we talked a little bit about diets of different countries and one of the things that he said is he's i can't i can't believe how large the portions are that you americans eat sure so maybe not exactly what you were looking at when you were talking about food but very similar and then your comments about how everybody responds differently i've had the good fortune or bad fortune to have over 10 eye surgeries and 16 procedures for detached uh, detached retina in different places and the good news is every surgery repaired where it was but it turned into a physics problem but i still remember my a retinal surgeon saying look you know we can do these things we can eventually make it better i can't give you a timeline because everybody is an n of one sure and that for me is a somewhat of a scientific background as an exercise physiologist was like oh okay i can see this so there's this basic science but i'm a little bit different and it sounds like At some point, the light bulb went on with your son. It's like, okay, there are these basic principles that we learn, but everybody's different, and we can manipulate these little things, and manipulating thing A can have an effect on thing B, thing C, and hopefully overall improve the quality of life and health. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think one of the questions that this is well-suited to right now, because – one of the advantages of the internet is there's a tremendous amount of information out there. One of the disadvantages is there's a tremendous amount of information out there. What exactly is a functional medicine physician?
1: All right. So functional medicine is a, a concept that was coined by a guy named Jeffrey Bland. He was a Influential um, PhD that got together a consortium of like-minded individuals in the early nineteen nineties, and came up with this this term. And functional refers to you know, functioning as a person, functioning well. Functional medicine, and so functional medicine. The way I think of it is root cause medicine. It's looking at those those important. Roots, the soil, making sure that you have the right components to make the optimal human being. And so focusing in on what an ideal diet for that person is what their microbes are like inside of them, how they inherited those microbes. There's a hundred trillion organisms that make up the microbiome and that's very influential in us. And, it's and, and I'm
0: curious, thing. I think what you said there is, is something that deserves a little more focus. Mm-hmm. What's the right diet for an individual? Because I know that diet for many people is a magic word. People talk about hitting their macros or they do this style of diet or that style of diet. And, you know, there are registered dietitians, there are physicians. When you sit down with a patient, just in general terms, how does one, or somebody's listening to this, how does one determine what is the optimal diet? Are there good foods, bad foods, foods you never eat? I mean, how, do, how does one even begin to wrap their mind around all of this information? Some of it's science, some of it maybe not science. Yeah.
1: So, I think that there's some basic tenets that apply to just about everyone. And there's always exceptions and there's always... You know variances that need closer attention. That either someone like myself or a dietitian that, that can help zone in on a history and symptoms and story to help cater a diet to where you need to be. So, the basics. Uh, there's a really poignant book that was influential for me that I read that I would suggest to anyone listening is uh, a book called Food Rules by Michael Pollan. It's a it's a quick read. It's about yeah, an hour, hour and a half at the most. And it it really dives to the core of how we should probably be eating. So eating, we shouldn't... Food, don't eat too much, uh, mostly plants. And I think that's a tenant that probably is core to most people. You know, Having a predominantly plant-based diet... I'm I'm of the camp that I don't think it's entirely plant-based. I, I do think we are omnivores. I do think we get certain nutrients better than others. So eating mostly eating plants, not too much, and to eat real food, to eat food that isn't been created in a laboratory, that is food that is ingredients that you can pronounce that your grand- grandmother would recognize as food. It's not food if it comes from a car door window or where you pump gas. You know, it's it, it's if it's advertised on tv it's not really something you should be eating
0: probably either and i'm curious now versus 5 or 6 years ago when you first started this journey are you looking back 5 or 6 years ago or have you and got oh my god i can't believe i ate that sort of thing
1: or? oh every day it's like it's amazing that i i i literally in my senior year of college there's a movie called super size me that someone ate fast food every day for i don't know a month or two. I think It was a month. Yeah, I I, I lived that out. <laughs> I remember coming home. My dad says, "What the heck happened? You looks like you weigh two hundred fifty pounds." I'm like, "No way!" And I got on the scale. I was two hundred fifty pounds. And so I, I know what that's like to feel that way. And I know the draw of food. I know that you can food and sugar in particular is the most addictive force on the planet. And so if if the right combination of you know, not having the the good relationships in life or, you know, being under a lot of stress or not having access to good food. Even then, I mean, everyone should be able to buy local produce and, and try to eat in the periphery of the grocery store and keep away from packaged and processed stuff. And that's, you know, ideally if you can eat organic as much as possible, if you can keep away from... Uh, the stuff that's in boxes or bags that's generally a favorable thing to do Uh, what i do every time i meet with somebody is to meet them where they're at to get a feel for where their diet is i often will share my experience and story and we we explore ways to optimize it If, if we can you know get people to eat less food as a whole to practice intermittent fasting, which is a great exercise, and lowering insulin and lowering the storage of adipose tissue and reducing inflammation and, you know, helping out on that front is is really key. And I, I think that words like paleo and vegan and um, that the, they're, they're good words or they're, they're like a compass that can guide you. But I think individually there's certain foods that are going to fit best for each particular person. And then we'll, we'll look to get you on the, the right ballpark and tweak things. And eventually people find out on their own a lot, like we did, what's the best diet for them.
0: And I'm curious, all of these things you're, you're describing or something. I was fortunate enough that I don't know if by accident or by choice, my parents kind of invested in me. I know my dad didn't like things that were sweet, so we always had natural peanut butter. But one of the things you're describing with this sorts of things is it takes more time to prep the food than the pull up to the gas station and get the prepackaged food. How do you approach that with your patients as far as they say, well, you know, this is all great, Dr. Lober, but, you know, I, I work 60 hours a week and my wife works uh, 50 hours a week and we're our kids are in Little League and my daughter is, is playing soccer. How do you, do you, do you offer them, do you kind of suggest small baby steps or is it all or nothing? Oh,
1: it's never all or nothing. I think any step that anyone can take towards trying to better their nutrition and diet is a worthy step. And that's a pitfall that some people have that they think that, well, if I can't do this, I'm just not going to do it. And so that, that's just the wrong mentality. I think it took me several years to get to a good place. And so I can sit here and tell you about it. But I, I know it's it's not an overnight flip the switch thing for most people. So it's about f- making gradual changes. It's gradually un- like those glitches. Have you ever seen the matrix? It's the, the glitches in the matrix. Eventually you can unplug from the matrix of our society. And, and some of the, the, the things that kind of hamper us and connect us in poor ways so if you make one change at a time if you say i'm not gonna eat you know drink pop you know, that's probably the first step for a lot of people if you can get away from pop great and then why don't we try and limit the snacks or you know try and eat less grains or carbs no extra sugar you know finding where the person is what they're willing to do change is is a something that needs fostered and some people need those fans of change flamed and time is a big constraint you not having the time or the resources to devote towards it so that's a tough one and especially if it's you know two working parents and you know a family you know you can't devote as much time for those things so that's when you got to be, you know, have a plan in place and, and have a meal plan, have a game plan for the week. Make sure that you're on track of quick and easy if you need to, but quick and easy in a good way. And there's these cool things like instant pots and you know, slow cooker recipes or, you know, really good salad that you can prep ahead of time. It, it, it takes effort no matter what, but finding the way to at least get you on the right direction, I think is key, and then eventually people will, everyone that's followed through with diet changes in my practice generally felt a lot better when I did it.
0: We're talking with Dr. David Lober of Squirrel Hill Family Wellness Center. He's telling us about his journey into becoming a functional medicine physician, and a few minutes ago you gave us a definition of a functional medicine physician. But there are specific trainings or certifications that you can get to do this. You can't just wake up one day as a physician and say, hey, I'm a functional medicine physician. Or can you?
1: I think it's you, you can, but it's not easy. It, you know, I can call myself functional medicine now uh, in part because I've done some training. I've gone through the Institute for Functional Medicine. I've taken all their coursework and their exam to be considered a certified practitioner without that training i didn't have the tools to really understand how to think differently and so there's some physicians who might be thinking differently right now that might be actually doing a lot of these things but they're they're constrained by managed care and time constraints so there's a lot of great docs out there that i think want to do something different and know something different but in their situation where they're at they just aren't empowered to, to do those changes so it's about taking that leap and for me it was it was like gradually getting up to the edge and over a course of three years getting ready to you know transition fully from my my hospital days to this approach and so everyone's in a different position I think getting the extra training is is vital to understand the framework, to think differently, to apply the principles of understanding how organ systems work together and not in silos, which is a, a theme that we were taught very extensively. And it's good to have the physicians who are experts in their silos because there's a time when you may need them. My goal is to keep you from ever having to need them to swim upstream, to figure out things ahead of time, to, to find out why there's imbalances and to try and um, make those appropriate changes and understand how the body talks to each other. So it's a different framework. It's, it's thinking in systems biology and how your gut can affect your skin <laughs> or how your, um, your bones can be impacted by your toxin exposures in the world. And so there's no end to the connections. And so it's this extra training, this mentality, and the way you think about how the systems of our body are connected, which is what really brings functional medicine to,
0: um, to the place where it's at. I know I've got one of the clients that I work with is an engineer. And when I talk about muscles and activation of muscles and movement with him, when we first started moving, working together, he would think of it as an engineer. And I had to explain, well, if the body is dynamic. It's not just unchanging systems. And now it's really beneficial for me because I've learned to think multiple ways with him. I'm curious with you, with your path to functional medicine. I know you've got a lot of medical colleagues and med school classmates and former coworkers. When you communicate and talk with them now, do they say, oh, you've gone off to the deep, deep end? Or do they are they more likely to say, that's really interesting. I want to learn more about this. So how I can uh, possibly incorporate it into the practice that I'm in?
1: Most of my colleagues, I think, they were, you know, politely respectful for the, the transitions that I made. Most of them did not show a significant interest in wanting to know more. It's it wasn't. It was completely. It's like the whole Matrix example again. They're used to being in their world and how they work and their mentality. Especially those who are specialists, I and mean, they're so far ingrained in the thinking along their particular organ system that to branch out and be a super generalist is what functional medicine is, is just a like foreign concept. And so along the way, I've definitely met people that are um, more understanding than others. And my experience though, unless you've got some inner drive to want to change, unless there's that, that motivating force to make a change, then you just you keep doing what you know how to do
0: i know that many people go to a physician when they're sick or when they're ill and i know the american physical therapy association with physical therapists is trying to get people to understand that hey you know maybe it's a good idea to go to your physical therapist once a year or so for a movement checkup to identify musculoskeletal problems before the problem becomes a problem so movement impairments Is there a movement or is there an idea in functional medicine that, hey, rather than getting patients who have kind of sought me out because I don't look at it just as a single system, that, man, if we could get patients to come see their physician every year, um, more than just the general practice uh, checkup, hey, come in, hey, how you doing? Your blood test looks good. But more of the sitting down for 90 minutes every year with your physician, is that a goal with functional medicine physicians?
1: Well, I think there's there's certain... In general, there's two kinds of patients that I, I see here. The more common case is patients who have been through the medical system for many years that have not been getting better, That's that their problems are not being addressed by the usual means, and they're looking for a different approach and looking for a different way of getting to the root cause for why they're not feeling well. There's another mentality and it's you know it's not as strong but I, I think it would be great to make it stronger of individuals who feel great who are coming in because they want to do everything possible to optimize themselves to be prevent preventative in in their focus and I think that that is Something that anyone can do at any time. And to to look at laboratories, to look at biomarkers that are not standard of care in the regular sense, but things that we can do now in functional medicine to dive deeper, to look at your genetic risks for certain things, like um, dementia comes to mind as a big one. And there's a, there's a great doc out there named Dale Bredesen, who I did some training with, who You is focused on prevention of Alzheimer's. And so the way to prevent Alzheimer's, surprise, surprise, is to eat right, to exercise, to um, reduce stress, to sleep well, but also is to balance your microbiome. It's to make sure you're not exposed to toxic metals. It's to uh, make sure your hormones are not in an okay range, but in an optimal range. It's looking at all your mitochondria are working and how you're avoiding toxins in everyday life. And so those are the things, those are those roots to the bad weed that start decades ahead of time. Especially if you've got a family history of a certain condition or risk, you think of functional medicine evaluation. And so the initial one's 90 minutes, but from there we can do 60 or 30 minute sessions and just wherever anyone is and what their goals are, I can help help them facilitate them.
0: We're talking with Dr. David Lober. He is the owner and physician at Squirrel Hill Family Medicine Wellness Center. He's given us a really good background on how he transitioned from being an internist to being a functional medicine physician. One of the things, or one of the reasons, the main reason I wanted to talk to Dr. Lober is because he was willing to talk to me a little bit about Lyme disease. And FitLab Pittsburgh and Moving to Live are both based in the Pittsburgh area, and anybody who follows the news knows that ticks are a growing problem. There's a variety of reasons, environmental, et cetera, like people say they are, and Pennsylvania happens to be the state with the most cases of Lyme disease. So I'm hoping Dr. Loeber's willing to talk a little bit about Lyme disease, uh, what people should be aware of, not necessarily not getting outside, but steps you can take, and also what to do or why you're concerned about it. So I know one of the things uh, from my research that I've done is I've seen that there kind of seems to be two camps in the medical community with Lyme disease. One camp says, yeah, it's a problem. And the other camp says it isn't. And I know just from looking and doing some research on it, it seems like some physicians believe that, oh, if you're bitten by a tick, you do a test. If that test is negative, don't worry about it. Another group says, well, You have to look deeper. There's additional tests. And it may be more than just a simple dose of antibiotics to cure it because it appears from what some of the research is saying that it's something that can become a chronic disease that fitting right into the functional medicine model, it can affect many, many different systems.
1: Well, Lyme isn't an easy topic. (laughs) And I think Lyme is that, that foot that opens up a big door and behind that door is a, a whole nother way of thinking about um, why people can be feeling ill. So so I think the best place to start is, you know, I don't have the CDC guidelines in front of me, but I, I, as a general internist, we were taught to, I think that to my mindset of Lyme, the one that I started with in my training is good to review and then we can progress from there as, as to where I am now. And so, with Lyme disease, we're taught to look for characteristic signs like um, flu-like illness, um, the bullseye rash. Um, sometimes, if if the Lyme manifested later on, you can have more joint pains or monoarthritis. But you know, polyarticular pains can be a concern. And it can proceed, if it goes even further, into neurologic disturbances, things like Bell's palsy. Um, You can also get um, concerns with Lyme carditis and heart block and arrhythmias. So Lyme is, it's not a zebra. It's, It's on most people's thoughts around here. I think that it's not a terrible stretch to get docs to to consider it especially if some of those symptoms are in presence so some sort of notable neurologic symptoms or if you find that you're having arrhythmias or palpitations and you get an EKG that's suggestive of any kind of a, um, a heart block especially is, is warranted enough to get a conventionally minded doc to think about Lyme acute tick bite and febrile illness or acute pain in a joint. Um, Having the bullseye rash, obviously, are all you know, incidents for you for even empirically treating and or testing. So when it comes to a test, doing a standard blood draw and getting a uh, ELISA screen for Lyme, if that's positive, it runs it through a Western blot, a confirmatory test that gives you a certain number of bands that may or may not present that reflect certain proteins involved with the, the Lyme organism. And so... There's this CDC notion that a certain amount of bands is suggestive of either an acute infection, the IgM antibody, or a more, you know, I guess chronic, for lack of a better word, an IgG antibody response. So typically an IgM manifests, you know, roughly about a month or so after you've been bitten. I think that's a common error is if you get a blood test too soon, it could be a false negative just because those antibodies haven't kicked up yet. And then the IgGs, this the more lasting immune response that you can have from an exposure. So for some people, it fits very nicely. You get the acute signs or symptoms of Lyme. You do or don't get a confirmatory test or you start an empiric treatment with doxycycline. The patient's symptoms get better and they stay better. And so the issue comes where the controversy, where the smoke is, is that not everyone fits into that nice model. And so I remember distinctly, I was speaking at a, a conference when I was just starting out on functional medicine. I did some of these outreach conferences to local groups and there was a local cancer group that I talked to and just opened up the floor to questions. And they asked me, "Well, what are your thoughts about Lyme disease?" I'm like, well, it's a it's an infection that you get, and we treat it with doxycycline and take care of it." And I could hear the, I could see the eyebrows rolling in this group. These were some pretty progressive-minded folks. So Lyme disease was not a huge focus of my functional medicine training. I think they gave us one lecture on it in general, and. You know, I didn't look for Lyme disease as a, a treatment focus. It, it found me. It found me square in the face when I started talking to patients. And a certain constellation of patients kept on coming in. And this constellation is one that I, I got to be quite familiar with uh, on a personal side. Um, and I'll tell you about that in a minute. But this, this constellation of people coming in to me, they had the uh, brain fog. They had ongoing joint pain for years. They would have chronic fatigue. They'd have trouble sleeping, anxiety, or depression.
0: And I'm and curious, back before you had the additional training, if they came to you as an internist with all of these symptoms, what would you have thought? What would you? What would you? What would your first impression be, or what would your second impression be as far as what their illness uh, was?
1: Oh sure. Oh, I mean, if they had joint pain, well. Take a pain reliever. If you've got depression, here's a antidepressant, or go see a, uh, a psychiatrist. If you've got chronic fatigue, well, let's make sure you're not anemic or your thyroid. And, and just a the tip of the iceberg, thyroid.
0: Type. If they came in with multiple ones of those s- symptoms, which my understanding is for some people with Lyme, they can have that. What would your thoughts have been? Would it have just been multiple different drugs?
1: Oh, of course. there wasn't a unifying factor for these constellation of symptoms. And I think that some of these symptoms can manifest in the way you live your life and your exercise and your diet, but it just happens too often that the same kind of symptoms, these pictures, were were coming into my practice. And when I started off, I focused on improving the gut and the gut's really central in functional medicine. If you heal the gut, then you can you know, have all these downstream benefits from it. And that's for certainly true. But the people that I would do that on just did that with the diet and exercise and the right supplements based on testing. They didn't improve. (laughs) They didn't feel any better.
0: And initially, when you started, what was your impression with that? Did you do these things that in your training said this should make them better and they weren't getting better? What were your thoughts?
1: It was like, yeah, am I in the right line of work? Did I learn enough? Am I, it was like questioning my you know, my training, especially early on. It's like, I'm you know, just getting my feet wet and getting used to seeing patients. And you know, it just just wasn't in my consciousness yet to think that there's this chronic inflammatory response syndrome which is a CIRS, SIRS, which can be at the root of a lot of these systemic type illnesses.
0: And what was it that kind of lit the light bulb to say, Hey, this might be related to something as simple as a tick bite." Well,
1: there was this, this undercurrent from this meeting I went to about Lyme. So I picked up a book and I read through this book. And so I got a, an impression how, Lyme could be a multi-symptom condition. And so I I joined an organization called ILADS. And so the International Lyme and Associated uh, Disease um, is what it stands for, ILADS uh, Society at the end. And so when I joined ILADS, I got much deeper awareness of the chronic manifestations of Lyme and how it's an organism that can evade the immune system that can change its shape and size it can go intracellular and i think the biggest takeaway that i took is that if one's immune system is not in a place in order to combat this infection then it can linger on and so immune system function and the the impact that one's immune system has on clearing these microbes from one's system. There's a different presentation when you've got an acute, raring Lyme presentation versus an ongoing chronic inflammatory response that could be stimulated by an immune system that's not equipped to be clearing these pathogens as well. They they stick around in a low grade, ongoing, it's like you got a a attack in your foot that you just you don't see the tack if it's there, and the process is such where it might be Lyme, it could be other things. And so, there's multiple triggers to an ongoing immune, overactive immune response to pathogens and environmental exposures. And so, this chronic inflammatory response Lyme is one, if probably it is the most common thing that can you be at the public's consciousness of this, this mystery illness. But it comes down to the person. And so you may have Lyme. I could have Lyme in me right now. But my immune system's working well and I'm containing it and I don't feel any bell effect from it. I've had a cousin of mine who got bit by a tick. He got 30 days of doxycycline and he's been fine.
0: I'm curious, uh, just say, for example, that I do have Lyme. Uh, you know, I was bit by a tick at some point in the past and I have Lyme and my immune system is strong. Uh, is there any, any evidence that man, maybe I should get tested and go on some sort of drug to kill this bacteria? Or is it something that maybe I'll never have problems or I won't have problems as long as I keep my immune system strong?
1: Yeah, we're a Petri dish for all sorts of microorganisms. You know, we're not alone. (laughs) We've got a hundred trillion microbes in us. So, if you go on a witch hunt for every single microbe that could be bad, that's not the mentality in my mind. The lime itself is not there secreting poison. It's not secreting some inflammatory toxin. It's not like Ebola or anything like that. The lime is almost an innocent bystander other than it's a foreign invader and your immune system recognizes it such in the acute setting, yeah, you, it's rattling up your immune system. It's trying to attack it. We get the characteristic rashes and inflammatory response. If the Lyme organism manages to, to reach some of the internal organs, then yeah, it can be an ongoing problem. But for the most people, if you've been exposed and you're treated and you feel well, and feeling well is a relative term, and so talking with someone like me or has a a deeper focus on certain symptoms and what could be causing those symptoms I think is appropriate. But if you've got, if you feel great and you're you're doing all the right things and you feel good, I wouldn't go on witch hunt trying to eradicate Lyme. I don't think that's the purpose. I think our immune system's there to keep things in check. And it's when life happens and very various things can throw someone's immune system off balance that I like to focus in on my sessions with, with, with patients and it's how functional medicine is truly unique in dealing with the, the manifestations of we'll say Lyme but this chronic inflammatory response syndrome for sure and so focusing on a systemic point of view it's functional medicine is very well suited to finding and addressing the root causes and supporting symptoms and then get patients to a better place.
0: And it sounds like from what you've said over the course of our interview, the fact that functional medicine physicians look at the body not as a single system, but as multiple systems interacting, somebody who's trained as a functional medicine physician or thinks as a functional medicine physician, when somebody comes in and says, hey, I've got joint pain and I'm tired all the time, and oh yeah, uh, something else is going on, that because they're looking at it from multiple systems all interacting The light bulb goes on and says okay something's going on it might be lime it might be exposure to mold it might be exposure to certain types of food that maybe your system doesn't systems don't like so you're saying rather than saying oh here's a drug for the joint pain here's a drug for the upset stomach rather saying let's look at the whole picture and figure out what if anything is causing all of these problems rather than just saying here's a drug you won't feel the problem anymore yeah
1: you summed up very well Uh, exactly the mentality you mentioned mold. I don't know if you have an understanding of it, but mold is is one of the worst things in the world uh, in terms of creating this chronic systemic response. And so, mold is an, is definitely doesn't get any enough of the street cred out there. But I I would even say mold is more of a concern than lime when it comes to individuals and this chronic inflammatory
0: response and the the set of symptoms that come from it. For somebody who is listening to this, how can they limit their exposure to things like mold. There's a lot of information out there on how to uh, protect yourself from Lyme with things like uh, long pants, not going into tall grass, et cetera, et cetera, checking yourself for ticks. But you may be living or working in a place where there's lots and lots of mold never even knowing it. So how can somebody take steps to become aware of that that's going on and maybe change it or change their environment?
1: Well, I think that it doesn't take much to – to look around your home and see if you've got water damage or mold and you think of it from the health perspective. And this is, it's one of those things I, I, I gravitate towards my own story and my personal connection with this world. And, um, I think just sharing that briefly would be helpful for a lot of folks you know, my my wife Jacqueline is someone who was a very you know healthy person who you know was, we were doing paleo diet and making our own cleaning products and you know, using essential oils and you know, not eating out she was active she' you know, just doing well and then there was an event and there's usually a trigger there's there's if you' if your health's compromised and you're not feeling well you know, there's usually some moment in time that you can start to think about it and that's a lot of time I focus on that with uh, my patients but for her she was pregnant with our third child and she got a really bad viral infection and so a lot of times I use this analogy of um, you know, life is like a, a pot of really warm water that eventually if something happens if enough things happen that heat turns up and up until it starts boiling over and so she hit her boiling point when she got this viral upper respiratory viral infection while pregnant. And for women, especially, you know, pregnancy so can lower your immune system functioning. You don't want to kill the baby inside you. And so this was a vulnerable time. And she had the baby. The baby was fine, but there was these symptoms that happened over the next six months that just, just began setting in. And so the symptoms for her were uh, having first was really bad fatigue, like fatigue that went beyond just caring for three small kids and not getting as much sleep. I mean, she was struggling to get out of bed at times. And, you know, stress is a big factor in all this. You know, stress is an immune modulator that can set that boiling point up and, and make things boil over too. So stress, the infection, the impact of the immune system, fatigue sets in. You, you get into this thing called the cell danger response where your body kind of almost shuts down on itself to preserve itself. And your body's trying to fight things though. And if your immune system's compromised and you're trying to fight it off, and one arm of the immune system's kind of hamstrung and the other arm is doing all it can to fight off these toxins and pathogens and vaders i call it this toxic super stuff and molds usually the most toxic thing in it and lime is close second and so my wife in the matter of six months she started to get profound fatigue this brain fog she started to get joint pain she started to get palpitations she started to get dizziness she started to walk into certain buildings and feel extremely environmentally sensitive and not feel well at all and I had to go and pick her up and so knowing that I had my wife is now like a patient and this is a an earlier time for me and my my journey I've just been doing this for a year at the most it, it, I knew enough to know that mold was a factor that if, if you've got if you're environmentally sensitive if you're chemically sensitive if you're easily set off by things there's a chance are that mold could be impactful so we had a leak in our home that happened we had a um, um, a leak in our bathroom tub that happened years ago but that boiling point set in and all the stuff that she could contain before if a properly functioning immune function she couldn't anymore so we did some testing, we found that she had urinary mycotoxins, some mold gives off mycotoxins, mycotoxins are what causes trouble from a systemic point of view, and we had to do some some thorough cleaning of our home, we had to get rid of uh, certain you know, porous items and materials, we had to get rid of all the carpets in our house, we had to put containment units up and take care of the mold and do special you know enzyme cleans and deep cleans and uh, and we had to detox her we had to get the mold toxins out of her system we had to you know it's like a sink that if the water's running that's the inflammation you need to have the drain going that's our detox (laughs) and we need to um make sure that the water's not flowing over the side and and that's the when the symptoms happen When those inflammatory symptoms, and inflammation is the cause for just about every symptom that she had. And just about every symptom that most people have. So we need to support the people symptom-wise, but we have to get to the root. So cleaning up the environment, detoxing these things out of her made a huge difference. But Because of the mold, I think a, a Lyme exposure that she had at some point manifested. And so she got most of the way better with getting the mold out. But then we found out about the Lyme. And she ended up testing positive for four four of the bands on the CDC criteria. And you need five to be considered Lyme. So I guess I shouldn't have treated her, but we did. And just treating that Lyme that wasn't this acute tick bite or, you know, the bullseye or the fever, she got much better. And so, it's a matter of establishing that balance and keeping their immune system intact and making sure the environment's clean. So, I guess the advice would be if you've got a set of systemic concerns, if you've got a point in time where you can trace back to where it started, if you think about environmental history or exposure to water damage or mold, um, those are the the signs that you know, coming in to, to talk to someone like me or getting an eval would be a, a good thing to do.
0: We've had the good fortune to be talking with Dr. David Lober of Squirrel Hill Family Wellness Center. I think the most important take-home message of this is physicians are excellent uh, practitioners and clinicians, but the most important person for providing information for them to give them the best opportunity to help you is yourself. So be curious, don't be afraid to ask questions and don't be afraid to consider that there are multiple factors that can affect your health. Dr. Loeber, I wanna thank you for taking time to talk to FitLab Pittsburgh, and also Moving to Live, since you'll be on both podcasts.
1: It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Moving to Live. Make sure you check out the show notes for contact information for our latest guest, as well as links about all the things we talked about. Intro and exit music is Traveling Light by Jason Shaw. You can subscribe to Moving to Live on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts and Google Play and be notified about new episode releases. Have any questions, comments, or suggestions? Drop us an email, MOV number two LIV at gmail.com. Connect with us on Twitter or Instagram, both underscore MOV number two L I V. Please tell your friends about Moving to Live. It's a go-to place for information for movement and exercise professionals and amateur aficionados who understand that movement is part of what makes your life complete. Until next week, keep on moving.